Here is another extract from Voltamum's recent roundtable event, which focused on the Internet of Things. Here, we are asking the question, with all the data coming in from IoT, what are we actually doing with it? On to, again, one another, the IoT is heavy hype. The next topic is similarly heavy hype, and that's big data, which I'm calling it vast data. And I actually used the term exabytes for the first time uh, a few weeks ago in an article. There's always a drawback to this. I, I was reminded I was interviewing a big data guru a couple of years ago, a, a, an ancient Greek word. God knows why I picked it up. popped back into my feeble little brain. And it's paradoia. And the ancient Greeks said lots of good words which uh, are particularly applicable to the high-tech sector, particularly words like hubris and nemesis, I think, would be for the telecom sector. But this word paradoia, and it means a human tendency to see faces in clouds. You know, we're so good at spotting patterns, we see patterns even though there's no bloody pattern there. And now we've got this torrent of data coming in. What are we going to do with it? And I wondered if the panel members could maybe give us an insight into what they're doing and uh, maybe hear questions back to the floor as well about whether you think we're doing it right or not. One thing is uh, we claim that, that we use this data to optimize whatever the customer is doing. For example, in some areas, uptime is a critical thing. In medical devices, but also uh, if you, for example, we are monitoring fleets of electrical drives in cruise ships. And you can imagine that having a cruise ship in a harbor is not a nice thing. So we are optimizing the uptime of, of the electrical drive of that cruise ship. And the next thing that ABB is talking about is, of course, energy efficiency. I mean, this is certainly one of the most interesting areas, and uh, heating and lighting in buildings is, is a key thing here. But also in, uh, in industry, you mentioned the amount of uh, energy industry uses, and optimizing this is, is good for both the company that operates it and, and for the environment. And the last thing to optimize uh, with this big data, be it big or small, uh, is comfort and safety in, in uh, buildings and homes. Like in a hotel, in your home, in, in your office space, this is also something that can be optimized. Nice example with this, uh, with this book, it is an example of um, adopting comfort of, of the lighting to a certain situation. Very nice example. I mean, I would build on that and say, you know, for us, smart cities, I think it really embodies IoT in a way that nothing else does in some ways. And, I, and, and absolutely, buildings fit very well into smart cities. To give you an example, in Spain, uh, we did a piece of work in uh, Valdez Terra, if I pronounce that properly, uh, smart city. And it was thousands and thousands of digital meters that were being connected, basically, through our, uh, and monitored through our management system. So you're collecting information from all of these devices. It's going into what, what we use as structured way and building management systems. You analyze the data and the patterns to ensure that actually you can use that efficiency most effectively. So whether it's a, a building, a bank, and maybe the bank at peak load has 11, 10,000 people in the building, but actually at a very low load might have 3,000 people in the building. What do you do? Well, you use that data to ensure that actually you are shutting off the lights where they need to go off. Um, that you maybe are using one or two elevators and not all, and through that methodology, and it's all through big data and analytics actually that you can do that. Through that, you can manage efficiency way better than you, if, you, if you didn't have that information available. So I think to me, big data and analytics just gives you so much more at your, at your fingertips to be able to actually control, monitor, integrate, and conserve. 
Um, and so, and, and that's how I think you build sustainable smart cities. So, uh, and if you start looking at things like the Gini index or emissions of actual human happiness, from, you know, the Maslow hierarchy, which might mm -hmm. count as digitally. Yeah. I always uh, realize we always want something intelligent and smart, but we do not like necessarily the consequences uh, to make it happen. <laughs> and it's a kind of very, there's a relationship to the human, uh, human nature. Mm. We, we grow basically a baby. Right? And we start, what does it start? With recognition, with observing, collecting data. Today we mm -hmm. do that with sensors, the occupancy, mobile data, we're collecting data. But I think the important step that is just coming is the step from recognition to prediction. And then the big uh, user cases come in. Once we have enough data collected, we can go into the prediction mode and really create autonomous and really intelligent things. For me, important is just they need to be human-centric and biodynamic, not something for the purpose of the industry, but then I come back to the people aspect that we, that we need to focus on, that we use it for the people. But at the end, it's a, like, like the humans grow, and we grow things right now. Pretty similar. Yeah, maybe you know, one of my observations that Donald has been quality of service issues in telecoms. Just, just because you can measure something doesn't mean it's important. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure all of us have run across yeah. people who built very successful careers inside corporations or organizations just by creating even more tick boxes for other people to fill in. <laughs> um, so I think one of the most fascinating opportunities for the Internet of Things is in the healthcare space. We all have our experiences. You know, you know you go to a GP as a set of records. If you go to a hospital, they don't know you. You have an accident, they don't know you. But you've had MRI scans, you've had ultrasound scans. An awful lot is known about you, but it's all over the place and it's in different formats. What if all that was joined up and was connected in some way that our health records were digitally available via open protocols, via the cloud, so that they could be accessed at any point in our healthcare journey? So right from the very beginning about healthy living, how do we live our lives, how much exercise do we get, do we eat the right foods, how is that data collected, how do we get early diagnosis for symptoms which can be picked up quite easily but go, go undetected because we simply aren't monitoring the data correctly. Then when we have that intervention, we have the, as I say, the sort of the, the data on scans on, on records, right through to recovery and being cared for in the home. Now, how about all of that was connected up and that, that big data was, was available on all of us, and then as a population, we could actually have intelligent algorithms that mine and look for trends to actually see what really happens to patient outcomes because of a, an early intervention or a particular treatment. Not in the personal sense, of course, but just in the, mm. the population health sense. So how about big data applied to us and applied to our own experiences of a very fragmented health service and how it could actually really improve the, life, uh, the, the health of us as a population? I, I, I think in that context, we're going to see what, what I'm calling the rise of the digital doppelganger. You know, there'll be a shadow self existing mm. out there yeah. in terms of you know, putting together social networks and things like that. Yeah. The, the trouble is you might have that epidemic epidemiology type stuff, but government legislation will probably still be overruled by the fast food lobbies or well, manufacturers. Okay. I, I remain more optimistic. I'm hopeful that we all know it makes sense. That's mm. the most important thing. That as a population, we'd all lead healthier lives if the information was more, more available to us. Early intervention, mm. minimum invasive intervention. strategies. Yeah, you know, that kind of things. And not having to go through the process of re-registering every time we go somewhere and you starting again. It makes absolute sense. Uh, sort of, I think, following up from Jerry, I, I live in a space which is 
between fitness and the telehealth specialist. But I think we all need data in order to demonstrate the financial merits of, the, uh, of what we're selling and the benefits we're going to get. Because uh, whether we like it or not, there's an ROI on, on, on everything. And, mm. uh, and our customers, especially in the trade world, are, are asking for that. And talking about Jerry, about hopefully uh, the government having on health a more concerted and um, strategy in terms of the NHS and, and social care. And as you probably know, it's now been integrated within the same budget. And, and just in terms of activity monitoring, I know these are sensitive issues, but in an old people's home, we are able to monitor any abnormal behavior a person will have. And if that enables a professional person, say a nurse, to make a call, a better informed decision, uh, which can translate into a financial benefit. Our ambulances aren't going all over the place and costing the government a fortune, but also in terms of prioritizing where the next ambulance or where the ambulance should go next, surely that has to have a benefit. But you only have, or you're only able to promote that if you're able to get hold of the big data and everything. So it's a bit of a tricky situation where without being able to sort of get access show the data, you're unable to promote it and then get the benefits of it. But they, they thought they were talking about this with my GP a few weeks ago. And she was interested in thinking that they could get speed with what, what's going on with who's interested in telehealth yeah. side of things. And she raised an interesting point here that you know be able to remote monitor somebody versus she, she talked about some of the elderly patients who yeah. come in and they she she's simply mentioned a few single males in their seventies yeah. who looked forward to this because it's the only human contact they had. Yes. You know, so if you stop, you're only sending out <coughs> nurses to yeah. deal with something when there's an anomaly. You're losing yeah. that human contact, and there's maybe an analogy here with the changes that happen in policing. You know, there's a mythical golden era where there's a bobby on every street corner, a new local policeman, whatever, and then the switch putting policemen in cars, and they just respond to things. So the police were only seen when there was a problem, rather than an integral part of the community. And there's much more important factors in terms of us, how we operate as human beings, you know, rather than just machine and efficient, you know, machine efficiency. Can, can, I, can I react to that? Because it's much more difficult to engineer. You know, you're absolutely right. That would be, you know, the trip to the hospital and the GP might feature in people's lives. But we're doing some great work in the Netherlands where um, in order to keep people healthy and happy in their homes later in life, mm -hmm. it's recognised that social interaction is a very important part. Now, why can't what we're talking about actually help there then? and have sort of social networks and interventions on a local scale that get people interacting with each other in whatever common interest they have, rather than relying on the, the healthcare aspect as being the touch point. So fully recognise the point, and I think you know, we might find other more creative solutions mm -hmm. by putting people in similar situations in touch with each other, interacting with each other, and actually getting that social benefit, which we know is so important for Mm. Yeah, there's the European Healthcare Alliance, ECHA. Uh, they've been doing some sort of work. I think uh, they had a ghost of a yearbook. I picked up a couple of copies. One probably could mind you, in fact, in Barcelona this year. And I think the EU spent something like about 500 million euros on this specifically for that um, you know, aging population, yeah. keeping independence much longer for changing demographics mm. and, and things like that. So, there is one impact of big data that I think we do have to recognize, which is the more data, obviously, that we collect from these various connected devices today and in the future, and the more we analyze that data, store more information, etc. There's an enormous emphasis on the infrastructure needed 
in order to support this and big data. real time streaming. Real time streaming is a yeah. huge thing. So, you know, content, TV, so mm -hmm. all of this stuff is adding to massive amounts of obviously strain on the infrastructure. And I think one of the things we as an industry have to do more of as well is in supporting the use of big data, but at the same time finding efficient ways to improve infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. I mean, you know, just back to power because it's such a big thing for us in our everyday lives. You know, given the oil and gas issues, a lot of our utilities are no longer able to, you know, invest in new equipment in, in terms of pure capital expenditure. So a lot of what they have is actually smarter solutions rather than mm. investing in new equipment. And, uh, and some of that means that they need to get much more monetization out of the existing assets. And the way they get more monetization on the existing assets is actually to use data in a way that allows them to do proactive monitoring, fixes, and all of that stuff on the existing environment, right? And at the same time, we in the back need to make sure that whatever we're giving them is powered by, say, more efficient data centers, as an example, right? I mean, apparently the IoT will increase data center capacity requirement by 750%. Now, who knows if that's true or not? But it will likely increase what is required. And therefore, we're going to have to come up with solutions that are more efficient to handle the data. It's just going to create that cycle of efficiency. It's going to get even harder. Uh, the metric I, I saw, uh, read the other day was, I think, that the, internet, the service of power on the internet are currently consuming as much power as the whole Japan. And, and an another observation, I remember the uh, you know, it was late 1990s, early 2000s, um, the brownouts in California, they were caused by financial and bad financial engineering, Enron and people like that, yeah. not by actual infrastructure engineering itself. Yeah. Watch out for the money people as well. So we've got, uh, you know, we've talked through connectivity, we've talked on uh, uh, touching big data. I don't know if he's got any particular questions or issues. Please. Uh, that's going to be another thing for that one. Well, Elon Musk, Stephen Hawking, and uh, Bill Gates all expressed concerns that these uh, automations are actually going to lead in mass job cuts and problems for humans. Do you guys not share these fears? I do. It's, it's a death in middle classes. You see, no, that, that erosion is certainly happening, I think. Sorry, just so I understand the question yeah. again. Chris, yeah. you're talking about automation improving services. Some of the greatest minds of our generation have said this is going to lead to mass redundancies of people mm. out of work across the globe. Do you guys mm. not share these concerns? hard to argue with Stephen Hawking. Who knows what we don't know, as you say. But my personal gut says that this is going to change the way we work as individuals and as companies and as organizations. And in fact, we have to find new ways of applying our resources. So I don't know if I agree that it's going to cause an enormous amount of redundancy and we're all going to be out of work, because I actually we, think- We probably won't, but I think if I take your point, it's not as bad as you have lost he said the term is going to happen. And in terms of these skill events, just well, the microbes and secretaries disappear. I've seen middle management disappear. Absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, but, but, I, but sorry, just to, just to finish. I think, you know, look, we know artificial intelligence is, is here already and is not far away for many different things. But I don't know, I personally fundamentally believe that none of these things work without actually human interface of some kind, right? So you can automate loads of things. You can automate loads of processes. You can create significant efficiency as a result of it. But at the end of the day, there is somebody who is either programming the algorithm, programming the AI, doing something, right? It isn't that these things automatically program themselves, right? So if data is created, someone has to analyze data. Oh yeah, you can have robots analyzing the data, but then there's somebody analyzing the robots that are analyzing the data. So 
I just think it's too easy to say that this will result in things disappearing. I mean, maybe we don't well, have secretaries, if, if, but... If you added automation, uh, sorry, the, uh, the new manufacturing technology, 3D printers, things like that, again, Yes. I mean, I, I think one of the problems is we haven't still haven't quite worked out what humans are for. <laughs> you know, a number of religions have tried doing it, but nobody quite knows what humans are for. And but now we've chucked those religions out the window. It's, what are we going to do with the rest of our lives? You know, until the sun explodes or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, if, if I can give a humble comment, on this, uh, not not um, uh, obviously um, uh, not comparing myself with uh, with all the other great minds uh, that you would mentioned, but at least from my perspective. In the end of the day, everything that's happening, or, or why are these people here providing services and products, connected products? They do it because um, they strongly feel that they can provide uh, value added. And if they provide value added, and, and a very simple example, again, 10 years ago, if you wanted to sell a, a, a connected home to somebody, nobody would want to buy it because it didn't really touch, um, uh, touch emotionally, so to say. But if you are uh, today uh, selling uh, a services to an elderly, elderly uh, woman who lives alone in her home somewhere on the countryside and telling her, well, actually, we can actually make you feel more comfortable, more secure, you stay in your own environment, and we are absolutely sure that we can, uh, can take care of you should your blood pressure f uh, drop or whatsoever, people are prepared to also pay for these kind of services. So in the end of the day, whatever we do, we only do it because there is a demand. And because there is a demand, some people have to do the job. So it will create actually new jobs, it will create uh, uh, new opportunities. And um, I'm, I'm deeply convinced that uh, actually it's an opportunity. Of course there is a threat, and of, of course uh, people's job profile will change. We talked about installers and contractors' uh, job yeah. profiles today, mm -hmm. maybe what they are tomorrow. I actually think it's, it's, it's a huge opportunity. We can bring new talent. Uh, into this industry. In the past, you know, it wasn't so exciting exciting to wire up a PowerPoint, uh, and uh, you didn't have the, it wasn't a really big, big, big challenge. Now, with these solutions, you know, it's, it's a great challenge. You develop yourself further, it will, uh, as, a, as a professional, you provide value added services, and that creates jobs. You can't it, stop history, you can just avoid being crushed by this great, great robot, is it? In, and indeed, we're talking about a, a fact, we're talking about a shortage. Skills in our industry. I mean, we need four and a half million developers just to do IoT stuff. So I think all those other redundancies will end up getting jobs elsewhere. And you know, I mean, it's true. We will have to be more efficient for sure. So it's also helping reducing that drift of jobs to a low-cost country because the jobs are more highly qualified. So I actually also see this as opportunity for our industry because it will strengthen again the yeah, where we are coming from, uh, engineering, inventing yes. things uh, instead of producing clothes, which is not happening anymore in, in most of our countries. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions or want more information, then please visit our website, www.voltimum.co.uk. Goodbye.